Lord, we thank you for being the great God that you are. And as we have worshipped you in song and in prayer and the offering, in the celebration, Lord, of our community and project share, so we continue to worship you now in the understanding of your word. Father, use your word to speak into our hearts and to our minds. And I pray that we will all not merely listen, but that we will have faith and believe that your word is sufficient for us today. That the Holy Spirit will speak into our hearts in a unique way for each and every one of us. And I pray that this will be to your glory, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Well, we continue our messages through Acts, and we continue looking at the third movement of our mission statement. And as we do, uh, today we find that we're focused on the good news, evangelism. It is the natural and contagious nature of our faith in Jesus. And even though it is natural and even though it is contagious, it is nevertheless something that we all need to be reminded about in terms of its importance. Because it's easy for us to overlook it. There is nothing more important that we can share with anyone, loved ones, friends, neighbors, the world, than God's love through Jesus for them. The world, of course, doesn't see evangelism in this light. It has a different picture of it. Now, if you're older, you grew up seeing the cartoon characters of Charlie Brown, Peanuts Gang. Charles Schultz is the one who, uh, who, who created them. And in one of his uh, cartoons, he has a caricature of evangelism that I think is humorous, but is perhaps the way the world sees us when we're about sharing the good news. So if you look up here, I'm going to read it to you. This is Charlie Brown and his little sister, Sally Brown. And Sally says to Charlie, I would have made a good evangelist. You know that kid who sits behind me at school? I've convinced him that my religion is better than his religion. Charlie asks, how'd you do that? And Sally says, I hit him with my lunchbox. Well, the Sally Brown method of evangelism is not what we're talking about when we're talking about sharing the good news with others. Although some of us might like to get you in a corner sometime with that. Our text provides us with a very different picture and one that is very instructive in sharing the good news. It embodies both the first movement of our mission and it embodies the third movement of our mission. Remember our mission? To connect with people at the well, disciple them in the Word, and to send them out as empowered Christians to transform the world. The big idea today is this, that God empowers and sends us to reach out with the good news of the gospel. 
God empowers and sends us to reach out with the good news of the gospel. It isn't our idea. It isn't our power. It isn't our agenda. It's His. It's the God who loves us and has saved us and who wants to love and save others. Our text today is from Acts 8, 26-40. And if you would open up your Bibles there, we're going to read through that passage. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles located in the seat underneath in front of you. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation or his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch and Philip baptized the man. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now to help us grasp this text and this picture this beautiful picture of sharing the good news of God's love through faith in Jesus. We need to understand a little bit about Philip. This Philip that we're reading about was introduced to us earlier in Acts. He is one of the seven godly men who was set apart to feed the Greek widows and to serve in that capacity. We know that Stephen was another one of those 
deacons set apart to serve the Greek widows. But just prior to this, Stephen is arrested. There's a trial that takes place. He witnesses to Jesus and is stoned to death. And with his martyrdom, the persecution of the church in Jerusalem is unleashed and goes far beyond Jerusalem. The church is scattered. And many of the people who were there at the church now go and return home. Philip was one of those people returning home. How do I know that? Well, in the last verse it says, he preached the gospel until he came to Caesarea. We learn in Acts 21 that Caesarea is his home when Dr. Luke and Paul stay at the home of Philip. And he is known in that text as Philip the Evangelist. So Philip is on his way home, living his everyday life, sharing the gospel with all. He's traveling through Samaria, which is exactly toward Caesarea from Jerusalem. We learn earlier in the chapter that people are coming to faith as he's preaching the gospel, and that is when an angel stops him and tells him to go back to Jerusalem, take the road south to Gaza. God has a divine appointment for you. The first thing we're going to see in this text is that God empowers those who listen to him and obey. It's not enough just to listen. Right? It's kind of like, I'll just read the Bible. So you tend, you, you know, in your devotions every day. So you take 15 minutes to read the Bible. You don't even remember what you read. You don't even think about it. You don't even consider it. You move on. Well, it's the same thing if we listen to God and we don't take it seriously and we don't embrace it and we don't um, meditate on it and allow it and reflect on it and, and act upon it, then what good is it? So listening and obedience go together. And God empowers those who listen and obey. Isn't that the story of the father of faith, Abraham? God empowers him and keeps his promise because what? Abraham obeys God. He leaves everything behind and he goes where God sends him. That is true for us as well. Now, Philip is on his journey home to Samaria. I want you to look up here. Philip's in Jerusalem. The church is now scattered. And you can see in the blue, his arrow heading up towards Caesarea is going to the area of Samaria and through the city of Samaria. And while he's on his way to Caesarea, an angel stops him and says, Whoa, God's got a divine appointment for you. Head back to Jerusalem. When you get there, head south, right? And then west over to Gaza. And so that's precisely what Philip does. And as we read, when that divine appointment is over, 
he goes to Azotus, and then up to Caesarea. And he's home. And he preaches the gospel throughout it all. Philip is not on some special missions trip. He is living his life. He is living on mission. Right? His life has purpose. He understands that God calls us to share the good news. And he's about it. Often we think that sharing the good news, we either have to have special gifts or we have to be set apart to do it. Well, certainly that makes it easier for us. But we should learn how to live in the gospel all the time and share the gospel all the time. That's living on mission. God calls us to be on mission. That's the real purpose of our life once we're redeemed. We get that God is at the center of everything and we should proclaim His love for everyone because there's no greater thing we could share with anyone. Now an angel is the one who stops Philip and I'm not sure why the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to him here but perhaps it's because he needs some redirecting. What I am confident of is God wants to speak to you He'll get the message to you. Many a time, my wife and I have prayed. And we've asked God for direction. And many a time I've said, Lord, I'm not a subtle man. I don't catch those nuances. Hit me in the head with a two-by-four. And that's precisely what he does. Lord, be like Sally Brown. Use your lunchbox and whack me one. God can his message across, whether it's angels or the Holy Spirit. And Philip redirects his journey. He goes south to Jerusalem, and then he heads to the road on Gaza. Now, notice Philip doesn't have any details. Well, what do you got in store for me, God? What do you want to do? Let me check this out, because, you know, maybe I don't want to go. I'll tell you what. Truth is, if you're walking with God, you probably don't want to know until you get there anyway because it'll probably overwhelm you. Because God has a way of stretching us way beyond ourselves. But that's because we're relying on Him and He's growing our faith constantly. So He's constantly moving the bar in terms of our faith toward Him. He's constantly challenging us to trust Him. Philip does. He listens and obeys. And trusting God here cannot be minimized by any of us. If you don't, if you need to know all the details before you do what God tells you, you need to take a look at yourself. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I would do it. I remember when I came to the decision to leave a 32-year ministry. And God said, you don't have to do anymore. I said, okay, God, tell me what's next. And God got laryngitis. And trust me, my faith was stretched over the next couple of years as I was trying to sort through, where are you leading me? And where am I going? And what's this all about? And what do you want to do to leverage the person you made me to be and the gifts that you established in me? Those are the kinds of things that happen with us and God. 
Now, when he's on the road to Gaza, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip. He's still listening to God. And says, go over and join with the chariot. The word join there means to stay near. And again, without details, Philip trusts God. He goes over to that chariot. In fact, it says he ran to the chariot. And what he hears is a man reading Isaiah 53. God had created this divine appointment so that the gospel could be spread not only in Jerusalem, not only in Judea, not only in Samaria, but now to Ethiopia and to the ends of the earth. And all from a man who's on his way home. Not on a special missions trip. Living his life on mission. Let me ask you three questions as we consider this point about listening and obeying God. Because these are three questions I ask myself. Number one, how well do you listen to God? How well do you listen to God? Number two, how well do you trust what you hear from God? And number three, do you believe that God can and will use you to reach the world? Now, I want to leave these questions up while I talk a little bit about it. How well do you listen to God? I'm sure that many of you are in the Word of God and you're in prayer and you're listening to God. But here's the question. Do you have time for God? Most of us are living very busy lives with no margin whatsoever. And in fact, when we're that busy, often the thing that gets cut down is what? Time with God. I'll cut my prayers shorter. I'll, I, I, I won't read the scriptures today, but I, I, I will tomorrow. tomorrow. I, I don't have time to reflect, but I've read it. We do that. And the reality is, we don't even keep the Sabbath rest, do we? Many of us get busy trying to fulfill the things we didn't get done during the week on the Sabbath. Guilty. Maybe as a pastor I ought to have a different day of Sabbath rest, but I'm guilty. That doesn't excuse me and that doesn't excuse you. How well do you listen to God? You're not going to listen to God well unless you create some margin in your life for God and you keep that margin and you're rigid about that margin. Now, I don't mean to say you can't ever miss it when I say you're rigid. But I mean, you're not going to give it up for anything if you can help it. Anything. Because it's the most important time of your day. How well do you trust what you hear from God? That's a hard one. You know, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Or is it something else speaking to you? Because there are other things that speak to us. You know that, right? That's why discerning the Spirit, Scripture says, is important to us. So how do you know? Well, it's good when you ask the question, is that God, or is it something else? Then you can go to God in prayer about it. And if it seems to line up with God, with 
his character and nature that we understand him in the scriptures, if we have the opportunity to check with somebody else and they say, yeah, it makes sense, you know, it, it probably is God. But we still ought to walk carefully. And this is what I would tell you. Don't be passive and not do something. Act. But first cover it with prayer and ask God if this isn't him to stop you. Because God will. That's the great news about God. He's, he's here for us. We don't have to be afraid to act. We don't have to be afraid to trust. He'll watch over us, and if we get off the path, he'll get us back on the path. And one of the ways we can do that is by making sure we're in prayer with him about it and listening to him, even as we're moving. Here's the second thing, or third thing. Do you believe that God can and will use you to reach the world? I think this may be one of the hardest things for us to really answer. I wonder how many of us really, really believe that God will use us to share his love with others. Most of us, if we've tried doing that and hit a wall or people got angry, you say, wow, not an experience I really relish and want to go through. And I think that sometimes as a result, we do this sharing the gospel half-hearted. And we don't go into it believing that God is going to do something. How many of you came here today believing that you would meet God in the worship service? I, I hope so. I hope so. Remember, th this past month, it's been a month since my wife lost her mom. And, and she was struggling in her heart and, and dealing with some grief, you know, and trying to understand it. And very different because her mom had Alzheimer's, so she was losing her piece by piece along the way for years. And wasn't sure what that would look like. And she came here on Reformation Sunday. Now she's down at the Sunday school this month. That's her month. But everybody was up here worshiping God. And in the midst of that worshiping, God met her, lifted her up, and filled her heart. Ask her about it. She'll tell you. She was changed. We ought to expect God to do something with us, through us. When we share the gospel, we ought to expect God to be there. We ought to expect something to happen. That doesn't mean we control it. But we ought to believe it. Satan wants nothing more than to disappoint, discourage, and redirect you against sharing your faith. And a lack of belief will hinder your being used by God. It is your witness that transforms the world. You don't know who you're going to touch. You don't know how it's going to play out. But it is your witness. Believe it. Here's the second thing we see, that God empowers those who listen to people 
before they share the good news with them. The Holy Spirit says to go near, go near that chariot. And when he does, he hears the man reading aloud Isaiah 53. And Philip, instead of saying, hey, God set up a divine appointment, let me tell you about Jesus. Or maybe, hey, is that seat saved there in your chariot? Are you? (laughs) Philip asks a genuine question. Do you understand what you're reading? The man, an Ethiopian eunuch, replies, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Philip doesn't start with his own agenda. He doesn't force himself upon the man. He doesn't use the Sally Brown lunchbox method of evangelism. Philip asks a question genuinely, and he listens for the answer genuinely. And the man tells him his felt unmet need, which is to understand what he is reading from Isaiah 53. It is a perfect segue for Philip to share the good news. That doesn't always happen for us, but in this case, it is perfect. The truth is, most people are hungry to be listened to. And the secret of connecting with people is to ask questions and to listen. Your interest in them will draw them closer to you. Your interest in them will draw them closer to you. And one of the best ways to demonstrate that is to ask questions and really listen. You know, oftentimes, as a pastor, I've had to counsel marriages. In trouble. And of course, I have some training in marital counseling, but I don't try to do what, what uh, counselors do, because they are trained in those things in a very profound and heavy way. But I, I often can get the, the ball rolling and then make that referral and get them out there where they can do the really good work with somebody who really can help them do that work. But you often hear from people, oh, it's not a big deal. We just fell out of love. There's nothing wrong. We just fell out of love. Well, guess what? People don't really just fall out of love. One of the things that studies show is that people who say they fall out of love, they've stopped communicating with each other. And studies show that when you get them back communicating to each other, Guess what happens? They often fall back in love with each other again. Amazing. Communication is how we connect with each other. Learning to ask questions and listening is the key to connecting with people. It's very powerful because it not only connects you with people, but it provides you with information about that person. What matters to him or her? What are their joys and their struggles? What are their felt unmet needs? 
Knowing these things help us to connect with others and to know who they are as persons. And knowing their felt unmet need is how to best share the gospel so that it is relevant to them. If you want someone to listen to you, make sure you listen to them first. If you want someone to take you seriously, make sure you take them seriously first. You'll find that they will. You know, our kids this summer, they went out and did some cold calling evangelism in the mall and at Millennial Park. And they just walked up to people and asked the question, would you have time to have a brief spiritual conversation? And you know, maybe a third of the people said, yes. I was shocked. I couldn't believe that statistic. A third of the people, was it more? Or about that? About that. That's amazing. I mean, I would have thought people would have been like, let me stiff arm you. Right? They didn't. And then the kids didn't go, well, I want to tell you about my faith. The kids asked questions about what they believed and why they believed it. And they listened. And when they were done, occasionally a person would say, well, what is it that you believe? But when they were done, they had then that permission, and they said, can I share with you now what I believe and why? And it wasn't always clear, and it wasn't always clean, and they didn't have all the answers, but there was this spiritual dialogue going on, and all because they were asking questions and listening to each other. Many of us can have spiritual dialogues like that. You know, my daughter has heard me share, my youngest daughter, she's heard me share the gospel a million times with her. And she struggles with it. And from time to time, I just say, Carolyn, I want to be your dad now. And I know you're older, but I want to talk about God's stuff with you just for a few minutes. Can we do that? And you know what she says? Okay. And we have this conversation. It's a great thing. I love it. Because at that, I can make a point that maybe God is doing something that will help her see the truth about the gospel. Ask questions. Listen to the person. Trust God and believe that he will help you understand and connect with that person. Listen carefully for that person's unmet felt need. Because that's the place where the gospel will resonate most with them. Isn't that the struggle we have on the North Shore? That people hide their needs? They don't have any needs? Well, how do you, how do you tell them that Jesus is the best thing? They have needs. They're just well hidden. And we just need to learn to listen. And we'll know how to connect with them at those spots. All right, number three, the last movement in this. God empowers those who share the good news through their testimony and the word. Philip unpacked the gospel, which was this man's felt unmet need. It was convenient for sure, because the gospel is about the suffering servant of God, who is the Messiah, and we know that, right? Right? Why do we know that? 
We know that because Jesus said so. There was no evidence and no reason to believe that anybody in Judaism believed that Isaiah 53 was about the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah to return in power, not to be the suffering servant of God, to die on a cross, to take the wrath of God upon himself so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be connected again to God. That was not the understanding. But Jesus shared that with the disciples. They shared that with the followers of those who came to believe. And the early church was better than anyone prepared to address this man's questions about Isaiah 53. Because it's all about the Messiah. I'm sure that as he unpacked it, he talked about Jesus' sacrificial death, the resurrection, Pentecost Sunday, the growth of the church, the martyrdom of Stephen, the persecution, and even the predestination of that meeting with the man. All of this, all of this, clearly moved that man to want to be baptized, to make that profession of faith not simply in his heart, but symbolically through baptism. It's kind of amazing that they're on a desert road and they come upon water. And it's not Philip, but the eunuch who suggests that he should be baptized. Now, if Philip is focused on this man's conversion, then we would expect that Philip would be the one to say, hey, look, there's water, come on, let's go do it. But it's the eunuch who says, what keeps me from being baptized? There's water. Can we do that? My friends, there's a difference between conversion and evangelism. Evangelism is the work of men. Jesus has given us the Great Commission, right? And that Great Commission is that we would go and share the gospel with others. But conversion is the work of God where a person comes to embrace and believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And Jesus said this about it, John records, when it comes to conversion. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Evangelism is about sowing seeds of faith. Conversion is about coming to a decision to believe in Jesus. We should not be discouraged or disappointed or confused. Our job is not conversion, and that should not be our focus. Our focus should be sowing seeds of the gospel, because that's where hope resides for everyone. We let God do the other work. But Satan wants us to be confused. He wants us to mix those things up. He wants us to focus on this person coming to believe. Because when they don't, we become sad and disappointed and confused and we think, wow, we don't have the gift and we're not very good and why do it anyway? Pastor Tim last week said something that I wonder how many of you really heard. 
So pay attention, because I'm going to say it again. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail in keeping God's love through faith in Jesus from saving those who are trapped by lies and deceits and sins that imprison them. Let me say that again. The gates of hell will not prevail in keeping God's love through faith in Jesus from saving those trapped by the lies and deceits and sins that imprison them. The gates of hell cannot stand against the gospel. Believe that. What is it that Jesus said to Peter when he pronounced faith in Jesus? He said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Not be able to keep out the love of God faith in Jesus. Believe that. Sharing the gospel is sowing seeds of faith in Jesus that cause the very ground to tremble, the gates to break down and fall so that the lost are found and the prisoners are set free. Believe that. And that's what God does just because we're willing to share the gospel and others can hear it. And Satan trembles. Let me tell you just one more thing, because I've talked about this unmet, felt need that I've encouraged you to try to listen to when you're hearing people if we live our life according to the gospel pattern, then we ought to understand our life according to that gospel pattern. And the Bible presents the gospel pattern. You know what it is? The Bible presents it in four things. Creation, the fall, redemption, and new creation. And that's the story of the Bible. And that's the story of the gospel. And that's the story of what God is doing. And when we listen to people, we can hear that in their story. And, and when we see ourselves living in light of that, we understand the gospel and can speak into other people's lives in a way that it resonates with them. Because these four things, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation, are universal archetypes that touch every human being. When you hear a person's story, you'll hear what they think is perfection, creation, the best. You'll hear where they thought life was absolutely the best, what really matters to them. is not unlike Adam and Eve in the garden. You'll also hear the fall, how something has broken that, because that's what sin does, it breaks God's creation breaks it. And we'll hear that fall. And if you listen to them, you will hear them talking about everything they're trying to do to redeem themselves so they can get back to that place.
Let me tell you the story of one of my fishing buddies. And then you'll understand how this gospel thing works. And meeting people in the unmet need. A couple came to the church I was at previously to get married. When I sat down with them and met them, very nice people. And as I asked questions, I learned that he had been previously married, not just once, but twice. And I asked questions about that, and I asked questions of her, and I listened. And I could see that what they wanted most of all was a good, lasting marriage. Creation. And I could see that he had not been able to have that, the fall in two marriages, failure. And so, he'll tell you I was really pretty blunt with him. But I'm going to present it in a gentle, mild way. I said, you do know that people who are divorced have a higher tendency toward divorce, don't you? That is what I said to him. His eyeballs got about that big. I said, I'd like to share something with both of you that I think will help you have a lasting marriage. And I began to share the gospel. And I talked about how God had created us and we had this perfect relationship with God. And he created us as man and woman. But how we fell from that perfect state through sin and disobedience. Through rebellion against God and wanting to, to just direct our lives in the way we want to go. And how that created this huge separation between us and God. And how Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. How Jesus came to bridge that gap for us. To create a way for us to come back into relationship with God through forgiveness of sins by the shedding of His very blood. And it's by faith in Him, by faith in Him, that we are restored in that relationship. We're not perfect after that. But God starts to work in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Now, they just heard the gospel. And then I said to them, it's the same thing with marriage. God designed marriage. What is it that he designed when he created man and woman? He said, the two shall become one flesh. Pretty hard for people to be one flesh, one mind, one heart. Not easy. We're egotists. That's part of how sin works. And we see in life a lot of brokenness in marriage and not oneness. And that's sin working against God's creation. But the way back, Scripture tells us, is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is, the marriage relationship is to have three partners. Husband, wife, and Jesus. And Jesus is the leader. So when Jesus is in charge, instead of having some power encounter, you know, I'm going to do it my way. No, I'm going to do it my way. No, you're going to listen to me. No, no, no. Submit. No. The Bible says submit. I don't want to. By the way, that's not submission. (laughs) 
said, you go to Jesus. And you know what happens more often than not? I told him when I go to Jesus, and my wife and I are in this power encounter, they go, what? I said, I'd like to think I'm usually right, because I am. But, maybe not. But I could tell you I've never once heard God say, oh, you did it all right, Craig. Usually God will say, you know, I think I've said to you, you're supposed to be loving and kind. Not boastful or arrogant or rude. I don't think you were loving and kind. I think you were boastful and arrogant and rude in how you handled it. And I'll go back to my wife and say, I need to apologize to you. Please forgive me. I, I think I'm still right, but I didn't handle it. Now, it's always amazing what would happen when I would say that because my wife would just kind of become this very open person. And she would say, well, you know, I think I'm right. And we'd sit down and say, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's keep bringing it to Jesus until we get it right. And that's what we would do. And, you know, it's always worked. And his eyeballs were about this big and hers. Now, I don't know when they came to saving faith, but I know they started coming to church. I know they came to a place of faith. I know they were both baptized. And I know they are still great believers in God. And the gospel resonated with them because it spoke to their met, their un, unmet felt needs. When we can start to think in those terms and share with people in those terms, we're going to be more effective. But I don't want us to focus on some kind of methodology because ultimately sharing the gospel and being effective is what God does. He doesn't work through us beyond anything that we do. And if you'll notice in our text today, Scripture is being used. Scripture is important. I used Scripture to help them understand why. Because it helps everyone see, even if they don't believe in the Word of God, it helps people see that this is part of God's plan for them in the world. If you want to know more about how to listen to people's story, then can I encourage you to uh, go get the book Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. It's a great book. Really impacted me this summer as I, I spent time in it. Now, don't minimize the use of scriptures when you are sharing your faith with others, even if they don't use it, because God's word is very powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says what? That it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce down to the soul. Scripture is important. So believe and share the good news. Remember that conversion is God's work. Your work is evangelism, to sow the seeds of hope that come from trusting Jesus. Use the word of God, it's powerful. My friends, be encouraged to share the good news of faith through Jesus in your everyday life. That is God's will for every one of us who believe. We are his ambassadors. Listen to God and obey. Pray about it and pray over it. 
Listen to people. Ask questions and connect with them. Share the gospel, and as you do, use scripture, and when possible, contextualize the gospel so it speaks to their unmet felt needs. And most of all, most of all, above everything else, trust God, believe that he is at work, and believe that he will use you to further the kingdom of God. Believe that the gates of hell will not prevail, that the ground will shake, the gates will break, the lost will be found, and the prisoners set free. Can I have an amen? Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love, for the expression of that through Jesus, for the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence in our life. We thank you, Lord, that you want to use us to be part of your kingdom plan to redeem others. Help us, Lord, to have courage to share the gospel, especially during this season of Thanksgiving and Advent. Help us to, to proclaim the good news through faith in Jesus to others. Help us to, to be good listeners to you and to other people. Use us, Lord, for your kingdom good. For I pray this in Jesus' name. And we all agreed and said, Amen. Let's stand.